Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week, we're delving into the world of artificial intelligence and machine vision with the CEO and co-founder of Always AI. So uh, Marty Beard is an incredible executive. He has seen some amazing things in high-tech history. Uh, He was vice president of uh, Oracle Online, president of Sybase 365, uh, chairman and CEO of his own live ops uh, company, chief executive officer at BlackBerry, and is now a co-founder and CEO of Always AI. You don't have to go far to read and hear about how artificial intelligence is changing everything. And I've always wondered how it works and what it can be used for outside of ChatGPT. And Marty has some amazing uh, examples of how this is being used in stores, in restaurants, in mines, And I think it'll really uh, pique your interest, hopefully stimulate some ideas and uh, give you a bit more confidence in knowing this particular part of what's happening in the world of digital to physical convergence. The Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT podcast is sponsored by Williot, bringing intelligence to every single thing. So Marty, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. So um, I'd love it if you can start off just by introducing us to your company. Uh, you're the co-founder and CEO of Always AI. Uh, what does your company do? Yeah, we're a vision AI company. So what does that mean? We, we have a uh, software platform that allows companies to build computer vision applications. And there's a lot involved in that process, but build computer vision applications and then actually get them out on the edge running, right? So they can collect data from cameras that are out in the real world uh, that'll help them run their business. So we're the, we're the software platform that gives you an end-to-end capability to build computer vision apps, run those apps 24-7 out in the real world, and then get all that data uh, that people are really after to help them make better, better business decisions. That's uh, always AI. And and are you building a platform that other people will develop on, or would you go to uh, General Motors and kind of give them a turnkey solution? Yeah, we do. We do both. Um, so uh, it's a great question. So in some cases, the customer 
they have IT departments, they have developers, and they're going to basically use our platform to create those applications themselves and get it running out on their cameras and so forth, everything the platform enables. That's great, right? And it's built for them to just go crazy, prototype, build as many apps as you want, get them, get them out onto as many cameras as you want. Other cases, um, a lot of cases, actually, the customer will say, hey, I don't really have a whole bunch of folks, but I definitely need to do this. Can you guys actually provide the solution? And then in that case, my engineering team will work with the business people and we'll build the AI model, we'll train the model, we'll develop the application to their specs, we'll actually get it out running on the cameras and so forth. So it's it's both. And it seems like you probably have one of the classic uh, entrepreneurial problems of you. you. You probably have some great technology, but it can be used for a million different things. Right. Um, what have you decided to focus on as the, yeah. as the key yeah. use cases? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Well, it turned out that um, there's a couple of, of industries or verticals that are, are early adopters, right? Um, so one is uh, the industrial space and specifically mining and manufacturing uh, turned out to be a, early adopters of computer vision. And you probably wouldn't have picked that if you were building a you know, business from scratch, but it was like, oh, I get it. You know, if you think about mining, it's it's uh, under a lot of pressure because, the, you know, we need to get more and more of these metals out of the earth. Why? Because everybody's buying electric vehicles and we're all using iPhones and, you know, laptops and so forth. And all of that relies on on uh, metals. And But they need to run those mines more efficiently. So cameras can show them where they're being inefficient or where they're having issues or problems or maybe labor constraints or, or, or what have you. Also, health and safety. Same thing with manufacturing. We work, for example, with a lumber manufacturer, and, and they want to understand how efficient are they cutting lumber and how safely are they cutting lumber and are they getting the kind of output that they need to get? Are they catching anomalies or mistakes before they become a real problem? So industrial is one space that we really focus on a lot. The other one, almost 180 from that, is retail. So retail is obsessed with what? With customers. How many customers do I have? Where are they going in my store? What brands are they are they most focused on? Right. So there's all the customer analytics for a retailer, but also behind the what's called behind the counter. So for example, if you're a restaurant, how efficiently am I making stuff? Like, it, am I quote manufacturing a sandwich or a pizza as quickly and efficiently as I can? So the, these are two areas that are really hot. Uh, it's all about operational improvement. It's all about getting real-time data, like real-time insight, so you can act on what's actu actually happening. All and right. you can catch problems before they become big issues. And uh, this is where computer vision really thrives. So how would your product help Subway monitor the, the sandwich making process yeah. in a way that can be uh, actioned uh, and uh, acted on. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we do things like um, we can actually uh, assess what's called the average traversal time from the very beginning of that process of making the sandwich to the very end. How long did that take on average? Mm -hmm. And if you know that number, uh, then you can benchmark different Subway stores against each other. You can say, okay, this store right here, 
does that in two and a half minutes and they have really good results and they sell a lot of sandwiches. This one over here seems they're in the five and a half minute mark. That's twice the other guy. Why? Like what's, what's going on, right? There's something going on there. Then they can diagnose it, um, which they literally do by zone. So one zone might be bread and the other zone is condiments and the other zone is meats. So they can start to drill down into, oh, we're really starting to have a problem right here in this one section. Let's fix it. So that's that's a that's a simple example, but that's that's a real example. So before that, it was human beings trying to figure it out, or you might look at weekly or monthly data and try to understand what's going on. Now you're just literally getting it real time on a dashboard, and you can see the dashboard, and you can you can make decisions based on off that real time. I think as an employee, I would have mixed feelings about this. On one hand, I'd mm-hmm. feel like, oh, this is uh, yeah. good because this uh, AI is impartial and dispassionate, yeah. and just because you know uh, the you know I've got my hair parting. Well, my hair parting is a complete mess, but <laughs> it's going to judge me objectively. Yeah. And then the flip side is the obvious Big Brother thing. Yeah. I'm sure you uh, yeah. have had no, to deal with that. Yeah. What's yeah. the what's the ha- and I can't imagine that unions love this, but uh, I guess probably right. a lot of fast food shops, very few are unionized, so maybe that's not so much of an issue. But- no, but it's a, it, yeah, but but construction sites and mines and others are. No, it's a, it's a real, it's a great question, and it's it's an issue that needs to be addressed. So, on the privacy side, let's start with that. Um, yeah, you 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 can't identify somebody by name, right? You you can't you can't do that. In fact. In every situation that I've mentioned and others that I can tell you about, you have to blur faces, right? So you literally, as part of the computer vision application, you're not you're blurring the actual identity of uh, of a person working there. You need to protect their their personal identity. But the camera is identifying, okay, that's a specific individual, and they're here in this zone, and you know, and so forth. So there is that level of of detail. But that's it's an important issue, and 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 the company needs to be upfront about how the data is being used and so forth. Now, on the flip side of that, which is what is interesting and not expected, uh, is that what companies have started to do is there's upside in the sense of if you use this tool accurately, there's bonuses. There's you're almost like gamifying the process. You're kind of like, hey, store A, you guys can make a little bit more money than store B because you're performing better. Right. So then there's this awareness that like, okay, I can use that tool to actually potentially improve the performance of the store. And maybe that that filters down to everybody that's involved in that. But these are real issues that the that the industry is working out. We worked with uh, did some work with Burger King in in Europe, which has very strong um, rules and regulations around personal identity and so forth. And and uh, Burger King wanted to know exactly how long it took from the time somebody entered the door they ordered their meal, they picked up the bag and they left. So again, that mm-hmm. amount of that amount of time. But we had to blur like literally everybody's face and the person is identified just by a number. There's no, you have no idea that's Marty Beard or Steve or you don't know that. It's just a, it's just a number. But the, these are real issues and these, these are issues that I think AI in general is dealing with and then computer vision specifically is going to have to deal with. Can you give feedback to an individual employee? You know, I, there's a there's an AI company that, that kind of monitors sales calls and tells people, oh, you're talking too much and uh, try using, you know, the, the, the best performing people use this word. Can you do the 
same for uh, sandwich production or wood production? Can you be a coach? Well, in the ca- in the case of like, for example, mining, if um, if you if somebody is is being unsafe, right? Um, which is a real, I mean, that's 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 a real issue. This is not like somebody that's going to stub their toe, right? This is like something bad may happen. Then, uh, yeah, you absolutely want to take action on that particular person. Um, and you would know that particular person because the camera is saying there's a person that's not roped in appropriately in that area right there. And you could, you go take care of it. Um, or in the restaurant example I gave earlier, let's say the dashboard is showing a manager that we're really having backup in the bread section. Like for some reason, we're having backup in the bread section. You're going to go to the bread section and talk to the person there and say, what's going on? It may be, oh, I don't have enough bread. Oh, okay. You know, let me, let me help you out. So yeah, you can, you can definitely take, take action in, in real time based on what you're saying. And can you talk a bit more about the retail applications? That tends to be a vertical, you know, we cover sure. IoT, digital physical convergence, but uh, for some reason, I think it's basically just because I'm super interested in retail, but uh, yeah. What, what are the other retail applications? Um, we have a, we do work with uh, Lazy Boy uh, furniture uh, outlets. You may have heard of those. Okay. And, um, you know, that's called specialty retail. So we were just talking about restaurants, uh, but now we're into so-called specialty retail, furniture stores, uh, hardware stores, you know, th- things like that. Um, they have a very simple need, which is who's coming in, how many people are coming in, where are they going in the store, and am I, am I assigning the right salesperson to that person that came in? So you would say, oh, couldn't a human being do that? Some of these stores are enormous, right? And so it's they want to know, okay, that person came in. They're very interested in in couches. The right salesperson is is Dave. Let's get Dave over there to go meet with that person, et cetera. And so it's just a little bit more real-time kind of ability to mix and match appropriately human beings, you know, the customer to the right salesperson. Um, we're in about, uh, 80 of those stores now and, uh, that, and also obviously they're understanding who's coming in, how many people are coming in, demographics of the people coming in. They're starting to understand a lot more about their customer base and their prospect base. Fascinating. So that's a simple, simple, simple application, but it's, it's sophisticated computer vision. These are deep learning AI models that are deployed out in the facility and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of technology that goes behind that. And how are you delivering the prompts, the nudges to the staff to to look after someone who's been roaming around in the mattress area? Yeah, they have a dashboard that they're that they're using. Um, the manager can literally see color coded, you know, all that information about how many and where and zones and so forth is kind of captured in a nice. Um, in, in a nice dashboard that is put together by uh, our partner, which is called a company called Trackwell. Um, so we partner with Trackwell, which is really focused on that analytics presentation. We're all the yeah. AI magic behind that. Yeah. It's kind of feeding feeding that. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's a dashboard. Just think of an iPad where somebody has it and they can see what's going on. And with retail, there's obviously all the technology there, but also, the the buyers are famously unimpressed by technology for technology's sake. How mm-hmm. do you sell to a company like that? Um, 
It's going to be, you're absolutely right. In fact, the buyers, that would apply to all industries. (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, but retail, yeah, very tight margins and, and, uh, don't want anything that gets in the way of efficiency and meeting those margins. Yeah, you need to demonstrate demo here. This is what it does, and this is how you will get ROI from this application. Um, I run, I guess it's ironic if you're running a computer vision company, you better visually show people how it's going to help them. <laughs> you can't hold up a PowerPoint and say, "I would like to talk to you about vision," right? So. You need to show people that humans are very visual and uh, I think they get it. You know, when they see it, they kind of get it. Um, we'll do very simple proofs of concept for people where if you just put up one camera, by the way, I, and I should even mention, in most cases, they already have the cameras. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you can, they're already using it. You know, those black, you know, you see the camera up in the ceiling. It's probably just doing simple security footage. Um, but you can get to that camera um, through Always AI, and then you could do much more sophisticated computer vision off that camera. So you just quickly set it up and showcase counting people, zone analysis. You know, it's easy to set up a few zones and um, and and go from there. And then I think you know when people kind of go, oh, I get it. Okay, this. All right, can you do this? Can you do that? And now you're getting into the more sophisticated needs. And so, what was your approach to getting that deal? Did you say, "Look, we think there's an opportunity in uh, specialty retail, and we're going to find this partner, and we're going to create a, a demo, and then we're going to go and call yeah. on all the specialty retailers"? If that was you got it, yep, that's okay. well put. <laughs> that's, okay. that's, yeah, that's. I mean, literally, um, our partner Trackwell um, uh, already had some experience with Lazy Boy. And uh, saw an opportunity to provide them more sophisticated AI. Uh, they know us, and so they said, "Hey, we want to let's go in." We demoed, and exact you just laid it out exactly. It was kind of like, "Okay, that's what we need." And then we worked and we built it, and then we started in a couple of early stores, optimized the application. You know, AI is very dynamic, right? It's it's garbage in, garbage out. It's all based on the model, right? So you want a model that's really optimize for the specific use case. And that optimization process takes time, right? You need to get out in the real world and you need to collect that data and you need to look at it and try it and then refine it and and so forth. So we did that in the early stores and now we're in a very cha-ching, 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 just roll it out uh, store by store. And can this technology be used to uh, combat shrink? That seems to be one of the big issues in retail. Can you spot people that yep, are yep, out yep. to steal things? Yeah, you you could. Um, you could also, shrinkage also could be, for example, um, like in the case of, of you know, a fast casual restaurant like a Mendocino Farms or, a, you know, or a quick service restaurant like McDonald's or so forth. They're just maniacal about not wasting food or not right. wasting things. So wastage is kind of similar. It's like, let's not waste food, right? So cameras are fantastic at that, right? You can really analyze, yeah, we're wasting here and not here and so forth. Um, and then obviously shrinkage, that's more of a security. Um, you you could potentially have the cameras on the checkout, self-checkout, which is where a lot of that seems to happen. Um, you could use cameras there, but we're not a security company per se. 
we can help with security, but that's not really our forte. And what does the deployment look like in terms of the infrastructure? You introduced your company as uh, Edge. Uh, you used the word mm-hmm. Edge a couple of times. Yeah, um, yeah. So I have local servers. Uh, they like uh, with a lot of uh, NVIDIA uh, GPUs or Yeah. So maybe in this case, let's back up from from what happened. So I'll just take the case of, uh, let's take some real cases. So like Lazy Boy, okay, there are cameras, right? Let's say there's four to five cameras. These are just simple, what are called IP cameras. They're, they're, they're able to hook up to the internet, right? They can accept Wi-Fi, they can, et cetera. Those are the cameras. They're capturing images. Those camera feeds go to what's called an edge device, right? And a, a, a brand that is everybody knows called, you know, NVIDIA uh, sells edge devices. So do a lot of other people. I'm just using NVIDIA as, as an example. And they have a line of products called Jetsons. They're these boxes. They're about this big. And the camera feeds into the box. And what's the box doing? The box actually has the AI model, the actual models there. And it's leveraging the GPUs, the graphical processing unit sitting in the in the NVIDIA uh, box, and it's taking the camera feeds in, and it's applying the model that was built. How many people? Where are those people? Demographics of the people? What zones are they in? Whatever the model was that was built, if the magic's happening literally on that device, and and that's and so if, again, if I'm backing up, and then always AI is the platform that built the app, deployed the app, put it all on that device to actually give you that 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 real-time feed. Okay. Now, in some cases, you got the cameras, and instead of going to an edge device, they're going to the cloud, right? So a company might say, I don't want to put out an edge hardware. I just want to go directly to the cloud. That's fine, and we do we do a lot of that. The only problem with that is it's expensive, right? Because the cloud is going to charge you for the for the inference, right? Cha-ching, cha-ching, mm-hmm. cha-ching. Every time, mm-hmm. you know, the inference is just the logic. It's just saying, is that a person? Is that a person? Is that a person? And that's cha-ching, 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 <laughs> right? In, in, in the cloud on an edge device, there's no charge for that. It just runs 24-7. There's no, there's no charge. But that that's the gen- generic architecture. You got cameras connected to either an edge device or the cloud, and then you've got the magic happening. The AI algorithm, the mag- I call it the magic, is either literally happening in that edge device or in the cloud. And the magic is all created and built by always AI in our in our situation. And how expensive are those uh, NVIDIA devices? Uh, again, going backwards, the cameras. You know, I mean, literally, cameras now are like what seventy bucks, hundred bucks. Right. I assuming that's free. That's already there. I, I'm just yeah. thinking about the yeah, service. And then the, Edge devices are, you know, these are 700, 800, 900 bucks, something like uh, that. But okay. they can feed, they can feed many, many cameras. Um, if you want to get to a beefier box that can do more and run faster and have more GPUs, and then now you're into maybe a couple thousand dollars. Um, but, you know, in the case of, of uh, Lazy Boy, they're not even using NVIDIA, they're using a different product. And in, in their case, it's an edge device. And I think it runs somewhere around 130 bucks, something like that. Well, so it's it, so the edge cost, this is Moore's law, right? Which you and I have seen. It's like the power goes up, the cost goes down, 
AI magic can happen now on on the edge. It couldn't, you know, five years ago. It was really difficult. Now you can do it. Interesting. So I remember. Um, I'm sort of interested in your opinion on maybe an adjacent uh, application for same technology, Amazon Fresh. The all of the cameras yeah. looking at the uh, yeah. uh, basically uh, streamlining payment. Um, yeah, which just seems amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess I should ask you if that's something that you have worked on. But one yeah. one of the criticisms there is hardware is really expensive because you have to have so many cameras and you can't just use the security right. cameras. And you've got to have like a lot of compute to do that level yeah. of uh, yeah. processing. Is that a valid uh, criticism or yeah. is that just it is. No, it is. It is. Yeah. I think, I think in that specific case, the way that Amazon went about it, it's amazing but it's really, really expensive the way that they they did it. And if you've noticed, they've backed off that a bit and kind of shut down some of those those stores and kind of kind of backed off. Because I think the way they did it is you literally have probably hundreds of cameras in there. Now we did it a very different way. Um, we we have some experience with what's called contactless checkout. Um. All of us have seen this now. We all got used to like going to a Target or something, and then we we self checkout, right? It's all barcode scanning. And what's happened is now people are really looking at different modalities of contactless checkout, where you don't interact with a human being. You take your items. Most people don't have a hundred items. We have ten or less, and you put them down on something. Cameras look at it, immediately identify it. You tap your phone. You walk out, right? Um, RFID tags are another way that people are, are doing that. That's not computer vision. That's a different technology. So I think there's a lot of effort and money going into making that process faster. Um, the way that Amazon went about it, I think was amazing and like, but too expensive to really roll out big time. Right. And, uh, I think people are still working on this, this challenge. We did do a lot of work, like I said, in, in, uh, contactless checkout and, um, Interesting, difficult computer vision challenge for sure. Yeah, there's a there's an Amazon Fresh store near uh, where we both live. It's just inland from you and just south of yeah. uh, me in the uh, Carlisle Mountain yeah. area. And and it's just okay. been sitting there and they haven't turned it on. It's like very frustrating. I, I kind of want to yeah. experience this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where would you say um, this part of AI is in terms of crossing the chasm? Uh, are you? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's in the, in the middle of that process. Um, it's, 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 it's got a couple of, you know, maybe the way to answer it is um, it's very different from, for example, generative AI and kind of open AI, open AI, right? So that's, all of us have browsers, we, we, we boot up our browser, we go to, you know, chat GPT and we interface with it and we have that kind of magic, but that's, that's looking backwards. It's historical. So it's grabbing data that already exists out in the world on the internet and pulling it together for you in this amazing human-like manner. Right. And so it's almost like Wikipedia on steroids. It's kind of like, I'm just going to pull together information from you or I'm going to generate information for you. But the way I'm doing that is I'm looking, it's a mirror on the past, right? I'm just grabbing information that already exists and I'm going to present it to you. 
okay, when you get into computer vision, this is literally real-time new data that does not exist. Right. So this is what's happening now. This is not ChatGPT, which goes up to November of 2022 or whatever the cutoff date on the, on the model is. So now you're dealing with kind of real-time information. And you also have hardware, right? So you've got physics. You have atoms or <laughs> on, you know, you've got metal devices, cameras, you've got drones, you've got cars, you have things that are literally out there that are also, you know, have to be enabled to to take this AI and make it work for you to get that real-time data. So my point being, it's, it's more complex and uh, the industry is working its way through the best ways to do that, the most optimal ways to do that, the cheapest ways to do that, right? And so we're, we're all at, versus, you know, open AI, which I can jealously look at as, you know, it, it didn't have to worry about that because everybody has a browser on their laptop, their iPad, their phone, they already, and it's literally just accessing magic through that. This is, you got to get it running on a, on a physical device and then from there, you need to collect that information and then present it, right? So it's a little bit, it's a little bit tougher. So I did a long answer to your question, but I think we're we're in the middle of that process. So this is an area that Elon Musk is famously very keen on. So kind of jettisoning all these extra sensors from the cars and just focusing on the on the camera input. Um, okay. And one of the right. things that he uses to um, kind of bolster the perceived value of Tesla is the, the the corpus of training data they have. They're gathering more training data than anyone else. Yep. Is that something, well, first of all, do you buy that argument? And does that apply to always AI? Do you see you building a uh, kind of a barrier to entry because you just have more uh, hours of uh, video streaming into your system? No. Well, I, so first question, I do, I do buy his argument because the more data you have, the more training you can do, the better the model will react and therefore be able to predict. And that's just an ongoing thing. And in his case, and in the case of like OpenAI, they're dealing with massive data sets. Like, you know, I think I read it, something like more molecules in the, you know, more than molecules in the ocean. It's, it's kind of like just massive, massive, massive data sets. And yeah, the more data, the, the, the better the predictions will will be, right? In our case, in, in in computer vision, the models are much smaller, right? So just just physically smaller. They don't take as much room uh, and and as needed on on those situations. That's that's so that's a really important distinction. Um, and why is that? Because you can you can train a computer vision model off a relatively small set to do exactly what you needed to do, right? Um, that's one of the reasons it can actually get on a physical device that's not a massive server sitting in a data center somewhere. It's literally on a on a smaller device. What's unique about us is our end-to-end capability. We are totally unique in that you, you can go all the way from collecting data to build the model, train the model, build your specific application, literally get it out out running on a camera and get the data, that whole end-to-end process. You can log into Always AI and do all of it. By the way, you can do it all remotely. So if you're if you're on a hundred cameras out in ten different locations, you can see everything going on there just from your your desktop or your laptop. So that's our uniqueness is the end to end. 
it's not really a data, you know, like a data model battle as much as it is actually a practical AI implementation. And, and so what's next for you guys from an R&D perspective? Where are you taking the product? So we're uh, the biggest uh, thing for us is what's called multimodal. Uh, tech loves to come up with expressions that are like sound cool. And <laughs> so multimodal, all that means is another mode in, in our case, for example, sound gets combined with vision to make the application even better. So for example, in a, in a mining scenario, I'm not only seeing what's happening, I can actually hear what's happening, which could be really important in a mine. Things are exploding and you know there's, there's noises that are important. I can combine that into, into a synthesized AI model that's even better, even smarter, and even more human-like because all of us are seeing and hearing and so forth. So that that's that's so we're we just announced this that we're able to handle multimodal capabilities. So we've gone from vision to sound to now we're starting to deal with text and large language models and so forth which are also starting to find their way into our world. So that's super exciting because now it becomes really a AI platform, not just a vision platform, but again, still very focused on practically getting it working, mm -hmm. right? We are not the guys that are in the back office just doing data science work. This is like, we want to take that work and then we want to get it out and get it working in the in the real world. So super exciting. Multimodal. So multimodal, it, does that include um, a, a text, the sorry, the conversations yeah. that people are having yeah. in? That would. Okay. Yeah, that would. Yep, you could start. You could start building in voice uh, into the model. You could build in text into the model. You could build in sound coming from the sensor. So all of this is getting fed somehow by a sensor, right? Um, but you know, I, it's it's uh, obviously heading our way, um, and we can see that in some of our early adopters and so forth. And what about text? So I, 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 that seems like a separate thing. So can you uh, unpack that? So, so text is being used for... So the very beginning of this whole process of any AI is the model, the model that you develop, right? You know, garbage in, garbage out. I mean, you, you want that to be as good as you can get. Mm. Uh, and building a model is, is an art form because you, you have to... You know, you collect images, you annotate images, you're trying to train something, look for this, right? There's a whole category called synthetic data, mm -hmm. which is that which is, you know, data that's not quote real video images from the real world. It's just coming off the internet. Um, and what's happening is you're now starting to be able to use text to describe what kind of synthetic data set you want. Please give me 50 images of people walking in a shoe store and looking at Nikes, right? And then you get a synthetic representation of that. And then that helps you make your model better. Now, you also have real images of people walking in stores and looking at Nikes. But now you can also augment it with this synthetic data. It just makes everything faster uh, and, 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 and kind of gets to the magic uh, quicker. So that's super interesting because it's starting to marry the unreal world with the real world, the synthetic with kind of the real world. Amazing. 
Well, Marty, it's been a real pleasure. We've got a whole other chat to this conversation where we delve into your amazing history. You have been part of some amazing companies, seen some amazing things. Yeah, well, thanks very much for time. talking about Always AI. Ah, thank you. That was great. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So, Marty, you've had an amazing career um, spanning Oracle, Sybase, COO, BlackBerry, uh, co-founder, CEO of Always AI. And I, I always look, if, if someone's worked at Oracle, <laughs> that's like, that's quite a thing in my mind because uh, Larry Ellison runs a tight ship and they're, they're like yeah. just legendary. How did you get to be vice president uh, at Oracle and what, what were you doing there? I, you know, um, maybe, maybe it was just, I got lucky on the, on the timing, who knows, but, um, yeah, this is really early in my career and, uh, the web is really having a big impact on e-commerce and all kinds of business applications. And Larry, uh, Larry decided that uh, he wanted to see how much of his sales he could do online. Right, so he he was tired of having to uh, rely on this huge sales force, you know, of human beings, right? <laughs> that that would go out and and try to sell Oracle database and. Uh, a legendary Salesforce, though legendary for yeah, legendary, being very, very legendary. effective. Yep. Yeah, and uh, at the time that I I got there, they were doing a lot of consulting under a gentleman named Ray Lane, famous executive at Oracle. Him. And yeah. uh, Larry was sort of wanted to get back to software sales and try to make it a more direct sale. Um, and I was in a group that uh, was focused on doing that for small to medium sized businesses. It was called Oracle Online, and it was all about you know, selling database licenses online and really leveraging the uh, the web to do that. So it was a fascinating project. Larry was very involved in it. Um, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, and they had a great opportunity to to not only work with him but just work with a, a wide variety of amazing talent at at Oracle. And we did pretty well. We sold we sold a lot of database online. So uh, it was kind of the start of that more online sales and that became just normal within the enterprise software space. And how would you describe his management approach? He's like this uh, Zelig character that pops up whenever you watch any yeah. documentary about Silicon Valley, whether it's about Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or whatever, yeah. he kind of appears as a feature character. But what's he actually like when he's working on a new project like this? My uh, my very first meeting that involved him, uh, there was a bunch of people in a room, in the boardroom, and uh, he found out that there was a group of people in Sacramento that were taking orders off fax machines and then rekeying them, and he fired them all. <laughs> so as, as I was sitting in the meeting thinking... Okay, uh, this is how things roll. So he he found this massive inefficiency, and and he he got upset about that, and and that that wasn't even on the agenda. <laughs> it was just that just happened, right? And then um, 
And I later found out, I said, is it is, you know, what happened? And it was like, yeah, some people, some people got impacted, not everybody, but, uh, he did find something that shouldn't, shouldn't have been there. Um, the other, the other thing I noticed about him is he, so he would make decisions like that very, very quickly. People would come in and spend a month on PowerPoints and put them in front of them and they'd be perfect. And he would not look at them. Um, he would just talk and, uh, just immediately get to the key issue and immediately resolve it. So very quick, very focused, very smart. Um, how do you prepare to deal with someone like that? I think you go in just knowing your subject matter from every angle that you can think of, right? And so if it was pricing, you know, online, what are we selling the database for? How are we pricing it? You know, what are the different permutations, et cetera? You just need to make sure that you add all that covered. Um, and uh, I found him like, you know, obviously he's legendary for his temper and, and all kinds of things. And outside of that situation, I just mentioned, I didn't really see it that much. It was more very, very business focused, very, very get to the essence of the problem and try to figure out how to how to fix it. So uh, I found it good training, you know, to, to see that. So it must have been a little scary dealing with someone who just fired a bunch of people because they were just doing <laughs> the wrong thing or wrong. But, yeah. but did, did you feel like, did you have space to actually perform um, and yeah. be creative? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And again, this is me as part of a team. This is not, you know, Marty Beard sitting there having this one-on-one with Larry Ellison. That was not a, that was not happening. But yeah, I think the team, look, uh, Oracle, a lot of really smart people. Uh, Larry hired really, really smart people from a lot of different backgrounds. Definitely a technology-oriented place. Uh, high, high value of engineering backgrounds and so forth. Um, and just a lot of people around the table that are just smart. Larry moves really fast. Honestly, he's probably the smartest guy sitting in the room. I think everybody actually knows that, not just because he owns the company and is that multi-billionaire, but actually really, really smart and fast. So you're on your toes, you know your subject. And and then, you know, he, like another, I'll give you another simple example, is a lot of people were building a website to try to make the interface better for the customer and so forth. And Larry walks into his office and boots up and asks somebody to go to Amazon.com, which was relatively early then. And he said, why are we redoing things? Do you think they know how to make things work where they're selling directly to customers? And we're like, oh, yeah. Books, yes. Beyond books, yes. Why are we redoing this? That's probably a paradigm that we should follow. Just follow that. <laughs> so we all Very walked practical. out. We're like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> That's yeah. practical. You know, yeah. they've probably figured this out. Maybe there's some things there that are best practice that we can learn from, et cetera. It's just an example. Very practical guy. So uh, are there things from working in that environment? I realize this is kind of one relatively small part of your career, just um, yeah. a, a few years. But um, um, as you're the CEO now, you're kind of in his uh, uh, his position. Uh, yeah. Are there is there a set of things that, you learned from him that yeah. you're putting into practice and are there a set of things that you said i'm not gonna do that you know yeah i think uh yeah definitely a set of things from him and then after him i worked for a gentleman named john chen for many years uh also incredibly smart and very operationally focused and so forth yeah i think i think learning that in a meeting it's just completely focused on the business problem Right. That that came across really clearly from Larry and, and John and and really trying to understand the 
the business problem, focus on that. That's the most important thing. Talk, get the right people around the table, talk about the problem, try to resolve it and, and move on to the next the next problem. So I guess, you know, focus and really focusing on the right issue, not a lot of just smoke around the issue or things that are kind of tangential to what you're trying to trying to accomplish. I, I think on the other hand, however, um, and I would say especially my experience at, at Sybase and so forth, maybe I try to also focus a little bit more on on innovation and kind of um, also allowing time for people to really, especially when you're talking about roadmaps and the future. So it's not so much, here's a business problem we need to solve. It's more about where's the market going and what kind of innovation do we need to focus on? That's a very different process, right? And that's that's something that's really, really critical to add that juice into the system. So you, you know, you've got the new innovative technology that you need because the market just constantly moves, right? If you're only focused on the box of existing business problems, you're going to miss the next box, right? So, so I think, you know, try to do those two things, wear those different hats at the right time. Got it. So how did you end up transitioning to Sybase? Obviously, it was a promotion, so I imagine that featured in yeah. the... Uh... I think such a... To, I think for me, um, you know, after three, four years at, at Oracle, I think um, Oracle had reached this point where it was, at that time, just one of the most highly valued companies in, in tech and and uh, was was really one of the picks and shovels for everybody going after .com, right? You had to... You were using an Oracle database, probably on a Sun Microsystems machine, and you were that that they were just riding that that wave. Um, it kind of felt like not tapped out, but like okay, that we're just going to do this forever. Um, I ran across um, uh, Sybase, which was had competed with Oracle in the database space, but uh, for a whole variety of reasons, had kind of gotten beat up a bit and was really looking to reinvent itself. Um, and John Chen had come in as the CEO and was really in a, in a place of like, okay, I'm going to do some, I'm going to make some moves. I'm going to do, I'm going to acquire some companies. I'm going to really head into more, uh, and he needed some strategic thinking, something that I've always been really strong at and, uh, and just wanted somebody to help him kind of make those moves. And it just seemed like a, such a unique opportunity that, uh, I grabbed it and it turned out to be a, a wonderful uh, experience. You were there for a long time. What, 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 yeah. what do you look at as some of your biggest achievements? I mean, we did well. We transformed a company that was a, you know, database company that was having a hard time growing into a fast-growing mobile enterprise company. So, it, I mean, it was literally pivoting from kind of a stayed, you know, stable but having a hard time growing database business because again, Oracle was really winning. And just, but taking that base and and the cash that, that you were able to generate from that, and then move into mobile enterprise and really take it a bet. Now it's just obvious, like our businesses are run on our mobile phones. But at that time, it was it was a fairly big move. It was like, okay, I'm going to approve POs and approve, you know, run my HR systems and financial systems. I'm able to do that on a, on a mobile device. So we made a huge move, you know, under John's leadership and and others uh, to move into mobile enterprise. We bought a lot of companies. We repositioned the branding, uh, repositioned the technology capabilities, repositioned the Salesforce, the partner ecosystem, the whole thing. And what happened at the end of that is SAP bought us. Um, and for for a very high premium, it was a, a huge payoff for, uh, 
for cyber shareholders and, and for the management team. So it was, it, was a, it was a fun experience. Amazing. And that success gave you the platform to move up to chairman and CEO of, of, of LiveOps. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think coming out of that experience, the Sybase experience, it was like, all right, I, I, I've worn a lot of different hats, done a lot of exciting things, had a big success as part of a great team and all that stuff. Now I want to go do it myself, <laughs> right? I want yeah. to see if I can be CEO of, of, and, you know, I had run a large uh, division of, of Sybase. It was like a $250 million business, but um, not as CEO, right? I really wanted to, to do that. And LiveOps was a super interesting company um, that was run by a gentleman named Maynard Webb. Um, and Maynard had come, he was, pretty famous guy that had come out of uh, eBay. And uh, he got fascinated by LiveOps as kind of a, uh, it was a lot of people that worked out of their houses and it was sort of labor on demand. Um, in some ways, it was a precursor of like thinking of like Uber was kind of transportation on demand. This was like labor on demand um, and not outsourcing, but actually literally on demand. Like I need somebody for four hours. I need somebody for six hours. Um, that was super interesting. And then the platform that, that, that LiveOps had built was used by a lot of call centers and customer service. Super interesting. And it was trying to leverage social and all kinds of different channels. So, it was, yeah, it was, it was a fun opportunity for me to come in and, and, and uh, run the company and, and, and become chairman of the board and, and go through that process. Great VCs were best in it. And, uh, yeah, ran that for, for quite a while. And so what persuaded you to go to BlackBerry and where were they in their incredibly storied history? I mean, yeah. this is a company that was just a colossus at one point. I remember yeah. when right. I first joined my first startup, uh, I left yeah. uh, IBM, bought the company I worked at. And okay. I'm like, okay, now's the time when I get to go from being a director to yeah. being a VP and running sales and everything. And first thing I got, uh, from our CEO, who was just an amazingly gifted guy, it was was a BlackBerry device, and that was the iconic <laughs> kind of accessory <laughs> that you, you had when you yeah. were going to Sand Hill Road and doing all the right. things that you do. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, come on, it's it's a iconic brand, right? And uh, really had established the smartphone space. But um, yeah, when I when I got involved in that. Um, so, so what happened was uh, John Chen, who, who I mentioned earlier had run Sybase, um, he was asked to, turn, which would, you know, obviously Sybase, that was a really successful turnaround. Uh, he, he had been asked to inject the same magic at BlackBerry. Uh, and they'd gone to an outsider. And by that, I mean a non-Canadian, you know, it's a Canadian company, BlackBerry. And it was like, okay, we're going to bring in some Californians here and, and, uh, and the whole job was to pivot from hardware only into software, right? Hardware's really hard. And smartphones, you know, Apple obviously had had kicked butt and was quickly becoming the de facto leader. Uh, and you had a lot of Android devices and all kinds, all kinds of things going on. And BlackBerry was trying to find its way in that. Remember, it had made its name on, on keyboards, right? And... Uh, Steve Jobs had famously held his hand up and said, this is a keyboard, it's your fingers, right? And so, yeah, so so John had come in to, 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 for that turnaround um, and he asked me to come in as chief operating officer and kind of help him move away from the hardcore 
hardware manufacturing and so forth and get into cybersecurity software. BlackBerry was always known as a very secure device. The president used it, the CIA used it, you know, it was the lockdown secure device. Uh, and so I had to leverage that heritage into this cybersecurity software space. And so that I was involved in that whole pivot. It was literally a hardcore 180 move from a, a vastly money losing hardware business into a money making pure software company and try to do that as fast as you can. So that was a, an interesting, fascinating, exhausting experience <laughs> that, it, that, it, uh, that I went through, but lucky, lucky to have gone through. Very good. So you were part of history in, uh, well, more than once in your uh, yeah. <laughs> high tech history, more than once in your career. Um, one, what is it that you think gives you this facility with strategy? What what makes a good strategist, and what's your approach? You know, it's I I like um, I like thinking about uh, patterns that that are emerging maybe from different areas, uh, and I love I love communicating about what's coming, and by that I mean it's not just like a communicating like a a blog post or a speech, but it's it's sort of putting into words the ideas that people have about what's going on. Uh, in the future. I've always been very, very comfortable doing that. So I think you can think of people that might have a really deep technical background, but maybe have a hard time trying to describe where that technology is going. Uh, or somebody who might be good at the description, but really doesn't have a, a strong background in in kind of the tech and how we got to where we are. Uh, maybe I'm a good combination of those of those two things. I've always really enjoyed thinking about what's coming and then talking about that, right, and just and 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 describing that. Um, I studied. I'm a very unusual. I mean, I studied philosophy and classics and and uh, in in rhetoric and and kind of in my background when I went to Berkeley. And I, I have to tell you honestly, that is far and away the most practical business experience I've ever had <laughs> by far. I mean, I got an MBA. Um, that was fine. I learned a lot. I was probably, you know one of the only MBA students that have literally never taken accounting or anything. It seemed like everybody else already had an undergraduate business degree, but yeah, so I absorbed that stuff, but honestly not, not even remotely as useful as, as some of the thinking skills and communication skills that I got coming out of Berkeley. So I think that helped me as well. Maybe I'm just naturally predisposed that way. I don't know. So the philosopher, and then you're not the first uh, high tech exec, who is a philosophy graduate that I've yeah. uh, spoken to, and it's really okay. and yeah. my both my parents studied philosophy, so I'm like I never did, but uh, I always had that respect. So, is it that it requires you to think very, very clearly? You can't just kind of waffle around the argument. Is that yeah, the- right, right, yeah? It's well. First of all, I think um, it's it's really really hard. So people people roll their eyes if you say if somebody says especially in today's STEM focused world if somebody says what are you studying and you say I'm studying philosophy and they roll their eyes those people rolling their eyes would just flail <laughs> if they it's it's very very difficult and but also very analytical so if you can make your way through a platonic dialogue for example. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not easy, but if you can do that and you can articulate it, that's 
that shows that you can analyze a lot of different things and kind of bring it home. Which if you think about business, you're analyzing a lot of things and trying to bring it home, right? So I think it, yeah, it gives you that that thinking discipline. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a much, much, much more complicated subject than most people realize, right? So I think you get people coming out of there that are, are very analytical, um, can think about super complex things and bring them home. They can communicate that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually not surprised. I haven't run across that many, but I'm, I know they're out there. So what's the difference between a platonic dialogue and a Socratic dialogue? Well, they're one and the same because the main character is, is Socrates, right? So Plato uses Socrates as his character. And so the character known as Socrates is the one that's always annoying everybody and asking them questions and trying to, trying to arrive at some, some conclusion, um, He's annoying. He's arrogant. He's he's a he's a great personality in literature, but uh, yeah, he's a, he's a character in in a in Plato. Not a question. You can tell I haven't prepared <laughs> any questions for this podcast because definitely yeah. we not have included that yeah. question. But um, it's fascinating. Uh, so I I want to wrap this up to make sure that we have room for the rest of the discussion. Sure. But um, going back to strategy. Mm-hmm. What are the key elements, you know, you talk to someone and they say, oh, we have a strategy for this. Strategy is a word that is bandied around very loosely. What are the yeah. key elements of a strategy in your mind? Yeah, that's a, that's a I mean, that's a, a great question. I think um, a strategy, it's kind of like, what is, what is the modus operandi of the company? And by that, I mean, what is the pitch? And then why are you pitching that, right? What is the product that supports the pitch? And okay, now you're at the product level. Well, why is that product what the customer actually needs? What's the value, the ROI that the customer is deriving from that product that you just pitched, right? So you're kind of getting through that those layers, high-low. You're sort of starting high-level, um, like we're focused on computer vision. And then you're talking about the product. Okay, how do you actually bring that to life? And then you get to the customer. Why does the customer actually need that? What's the business problem that's actually being being solved? Um, I think if you only if you start the other way, a lot of people will just focus on the business problem, the business problem, but which is fine. But you know, again, back to Steve Jobs, where he famously said, you know, if I ask customers what what they want, then I would never have built the iPhone, or I wouldn't have built the iPad because they weren't telling me that's what they needed. What they really needed was information more quickly, information on the fly. That was the real need, right? So then he backed into, you know, the product and so forth. So you can kind of cut both ways, but yeah, I think it's an all, it's a word that encompasses your pitch, the way that you talk about your business, the product that supports that pitch, and then the problem that you're ultimately solving for for the customer. There's lots of different ways to cut it. So, you know, the rest of we've talked a lot about always AI, but um, I'm interested in, you know, looking back on all all this history and you've seen a lot of success and doubtless you've dealt with a lot of challenges as well. Where are you in that Steve Jobsian, uh, not contempt, but but kind of self-belief in direction? Where are you in listening to the customer and the kind of the lean startup, uh, uh, um, and, and 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 you you have an idea of 
this is the problem I'm going to solve. This is the mountain, and you know, we're going to build it, and they'll they're going to yeah have a great success. I think um, we're I think we're in the middle of that. Um, honestly, I think it's still a um, vision, uh, uh, deep learning AI, and how that impacts vision. Uh, let's see, we can call it computer vision or, or vision AI is still really early. It's it's a very early. Nobody can tell you exactly how it's going to evolve, right? Um, and if you think about it, part of the challenge is human vision, just our eyes, and arguably the most complex system that we have in our bodies. Um, that's and and also really critical to our lives. Um, I think you know the applications that you could build are literally what you can see. Right. Okay. That's a lot. That's really big. So part of the challenge is it's so big and so encompassing. How do you chunk it down into areas that are really worthy of more focus where machine vision and so forth would really fit? So I think the industry is still figuring this out. We're still in the middle of it. Some people are willing to take the leap and they're more innovative and they're kind of ahead on the curve. Other companies are a little more conservative. They know it's coming. They know it can help their business, but maybe they're not ready yet. So I, I think we're, we're, we're in the middle. We're in the middle of it. Very interesting. Very good. Well, we come to the bit of the show where I ask you the hardest question. Uh, it's not about uh, Socratic <laughs> okay. dialogue. Uh, it's, it's about okay. your three, uh, three songs that have meaning f- for you and why. Ah, uh, did you, okay. were you able to um, distill it down? Three, three? songs. Yeah. Well, I can... Um, Okay. Any anything by so by, anything by Bob Dylan um, oh. is going to be is going to be number one for me by far. Um, and I would pick uh, I would pick anything from an album called Blood on the Tracks, which okay. uh, is is a famous album. But for you know anybody under the age of forty five, probably like, huh? But uh, uh, yeah, that that there's a song called Tangled Up in Blue, which is a just an amazing song. Um, by uh, by Bob Dylan, I'd, I'd pick that one for sure. <laughs> and then uh, I'm a big Miles Davis fan, so I I think uh, I'd probably pick something from Kind of Blue, like So What, or you know, yeah. anything. Love that. Look, album. if you're on an island and you only had one album, that's probably one that you might might take. Yeah. Um, you said three. Uh, three. I don't yeah. know if it's a song. Anything by the Grateful Dead. Any, anything. Any Jerry Garcia jam that goes on for twenty five minutes. I'll take that. <laughs> well, that's good. That, good, that, value. good. Good value. Good yeah. value for, for for money. You got a choice. You might as well choose something that goes on for a long time. And exactly. I went to one exactly. Grateful Dead concert, but it was post Jerry Garcia. But uh, but you don't remember it. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember it very well. Uh, uh, yeah. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, Marty, thanks very much. It's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was really a great conversation from my perspective. um, I want to thank you for staying with us and uh, listening to the whole thing and listening to the adverts. If you add any, um, just to remind you, all of the money from our advertising goes to the Monarch School for uh, Kids of uh, in Homeless Families. Um, uh, and uh, um, I really appreciate the, the, the fact that you listen and you put the hours in. I think it's uh, an incredible industry that we work in. 
and so um, uh, but it's important to keep up with what's going on so thank you thanks to Aaron Hammock and Brooke Ellsworth for all the work they do on helping me get the podcast out and uh, stay safe until next time